How are we doing? You're going to have to be a little bit more vocal than that, y'all. Come on. How are we doing? Good. That's good. That was so much better. I mean, y'all outshouted them. I felt it. felt the section right here is going to, like, feed me the whole time. It's going to be great. We are doing a brand new series in the book of Jude. Now, it's possible you've never even heard of the book of Jude. It is the second to last book in the Bible. So if you're still trying to hunt it down, just go to Revelation and go back one book, and that's Jude. Very short letter. It's one chapter. We're going to take every Sunday in August, and we're going to teach through it. Um, so um, how many of you know Jason and Amy Fibs? Okay. So we're calling this series Contend, but the subtitle is A Fibs Sandwich, right? Because I'm going to teach the first one, and I'm going to teach the last one, but next Sunday Jason Fibs is teaching, and the Sunday after that Amy's going to teach. And if you've never heard either one of them teach, you are in for a treat. They are amazing. They love, and, it, and just the topic of this book is just in their wheelhouse. It's going to be fantastic. So next week, Jason, the week after is Amy, and I'm going to kick it off this morning. So have you found Jude yet? We're going to be in the first four verses. Um, our culture is an amazing culture of technology. Like, it is an amazing time to live. I was thinking as I read through this book, I was thinking about alarm clocks, right? And so um, way back in the day, I don't know if anybody here remembers this, but there used to be like a, a, a thing. It looked like a billfold, and you would like unhitch it, and it would turn into like a little triangle that you would set on your nightstand, and it was an alarm clock. You may remember those? And then they kind of changed, and they became this um, round, it's, it's a clock, and it's called a face. And it's got hands, and it had bells on top, and a little hammer would go back, back, ding, 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 back and forth between. Anybody ever have one of those alarm clocks? Those were the best to throw, right? Like, they would, you just pick it up and just chunk it, right? And then, then things progressed, and like, you had clock radios. I had a clock radio. But it only had one alarm sound, and it was this. Ah, it was awful, awful, right? And then I remember when they introduced a technology that allowed you to set your alarm to a radio station. Do you remember that? That was a game changer, wasn't it? It's like you could pick your favorite station, and every time I would do that, like there would be an advertisement instead of a song, right? So you only wake up. Now we live in an age where you've got an alarm clock in your pocket. Right, you pull your phone out, you set your alarm, for, not just for the time, but you can pick the, the tone. Maybe you've got a song, maybe you've got a certain ringtone that you love, and you can change it for that, make it whatever you want. And they've introduced this new technology. Let me make sure, make sure I get this right. Gentle wake alarm clocks. Have you heard of this? Gentle, these are, this is a real thing. Gentle wake alarm clocks, and here's what they are, because, you know, like, we got to be sensitive, y'all. Gentle wake alarm clocks. They wake you up gently. So there's an alarm clock that wakes you up with light. It doesn't make any noise, right? It just it begins to get lighter and lighter and lighter. So it kind of simulates the sunrise. And I'm not going to test it out, but the theory behind it is that, like, if you were sleeping outside as the sun was coming up, like, you would, your body would experience, like, you would, it's kind of time to get up because there's more and more light, right? Maybe you can have a little chirping of birds or whatever. There are some alarm clocks that will actually blow out a little scent of oil, um, some like that have different scents to it. I'm like, I'm all about a bacon scented alarm clock, right? I haven't found that yet, but if there's one that could be like, it hits like the certain time and it just smells like bacon, yes, please, right? All day long. And then I found one, this is crazy, it's not even a clock, it's a bed. 
So you lay in the bed, and when it's time to get up, the bed starts to vibrate a little bit. It'll start to shake you around, get you moving. And if you don't wake up, the bed automatically starts to lift you up from a sleeping position into a seated position. Now, I don't know how heavy of a sleeper you are, but if you're a really heavy sleeper, all that's going to do is lift you up, and then you're just going to be like, slump right back over, keep on sleeping. You know? But, like, the technology to wake us up is crazy. But for some of us, depending on where you fall on the snooze spectrum, it wouldn't matter. A gentle wake alarm clock's not going to wake you up. You would sleep right through it. I don't know if you're the kind of person who hits the snooze one or, tw- one or two times or multiple times, or if you just every morning, your routine is I wake up and look at my clock and go, how in the world did I miss my alarm? But I believe this, that Jude is an alarm clock for the church. But it's not a gentle wake alarm clock, right? It's more like the kind of clock that most of us probably need. I think we've got a, an example of the clock that probably we need to wake us up. I'm hoping. Here we go. That last little, huh, so good. That's kind of more like what we probably need. And that's more like the book of Jude, right? So as we're going through this book today and the next three Sundays, there are going to be part of this book that we're going to be like, I'm not sure I like that or I'm not sure I understand that. That's a little hard to wrap my brain around. And I want you just to remember that this is a book that is an alarm. He's writing to the church and he's saying, hey, y'all, get up. Like, you can't stay sleeping any longer. There's, there's stuff to be done. And so he's not doing the, wake up, wakey, wakey. He's like, get up. We got stuff to do, okay? So whenever you kind of feel this, uh, it's because it's that alarm, not a scented bacon alarm, right? So if we're going to understand the book, then here's what I want you to see. What he's saying in verse 3 is, I felt compelled to write and urge you, here it is, to contend for the faith. That's where we're getting the title for the series, to contend for the faith. And we're going to talk more about that verse in a little bit, but what I want you to see right now is that we have a faith that is worth the fight. The faith is worth the fight. That's the big idea today. That's the big idea for the entire letter of Jude, is that the faith is worth the fight. So Jude is saying we can't sit back and let things happen around us. We need to step into the arena and engage a fight for the faith. In the next four weeks, we'll talk more and more about that. This morning, here's my goal, is to use the first four verses of the book and just kind of introduce to you the idea of contending for the faith and talk about five things that we need to have if we're going to contend. Okay, so five. Everybody say five. You got this. You ready? If you got notes and you're taking notes, here's number one. The first thing we've got to know in order to contend is who. Verse one, he writes this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. What you need to see is that if we're going to step into the battle to contend, we've got to know who we are, we've got to know who's with us, and we've got to know who we're loved by. And Jude said this, I know that I'm a servant of Jesus. I know that I'm loved. I know who I am. I'm 
I'm a servant of Jesus. He was actually the brother of Jesus, the physical brother of Jesus. But he loved the lordship of Jesus so much more than being a, just a brother that he didn't identify himself as a brother. He could have played the brother card, right? Like any of y'all were the youngest child in your family and your oldest sibling was like popular. People liked him or her and so you would play the card, well, I'm so-and-so's brother or I'm so-and-so's sister, right? He could have done that. Hey, look, y'all should listen to me because I'm Jude and I'm, you know, Jesus' brother. But he didn't say that. He said, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I know who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. You've got to know who you are. You've got to be confident in who you are if you're going to contend, right? I've only been in one fight in my whole life. I was in the seventh grade. And he was in the sixth grade. And it was a very short fight. One punch. I didn't win. Because I, I, I had no confidence. Like, I basically stepped into the fight like, I don't know what's going to happen. Bam, and it was over, right? Like one shot, done. The reputation lasted a lot longer than the fight, right? Like you got beat up by a sixth grader, dude. You got to have confidence. If you're going to contend, you have to know who you are. He said you got to know who you're with. Listen, this is what he says. I'm writing this to those who have been called. So let's break down that word called a little bit. This is really important. You know, as a church, one of the things that we love is we love to exist for people who don't know Jesus yet. Right? So we love for people that don't know Jesus to be able to come to our church and learn about Jesus. But this book, not written to those people. This is really, really important. It's written to those who have been called. And the Greek word for called, it's not like general invitation. Hey, whoever wants to come, come. This word means you've been invited and you've accepted the invitation. So this book of Jude is written to the church. It's not just written to people in church. It's written to the church. That's a really important distinction, right? People who have said yes to Jesus. Now, if you're here and you've not said yes to Jesus, one, it's so good to have you here, right? Two, when people start to squirm, you can be like, that's on y'all, right? Because this is to the church. And three, you can still learn from the Bible. But this letter is specifically written to those who have been called and have said yes to Jesus. So, listen, look around the room for a second. What that says is, if you're contending, you're not contending alone. You're contending with other people who have said yes to Jesus and are contending with you for the faith. That's what Jude is saying. If we're going to contend, know who you are, know who you're with. And then I love this last one, know who you're loved by. We're loved by God the Father. We just sang a whole worship set about that. Abba Father, right? Know who you're loved by. We are loved by God. I've never been in war I appreciate people who have been, but my guess is that when you're in war and you're in a firefight, that's not where you want to find out if people will stay with you, right? That's one reason why it's so hard in basic training. They want to weed out people who won't stay in it when it gets tough because they know this principle. When it's time for you to fight, it's not time to wonder who will fight with you. You've got to know that stuff, Right? And what Jude is saying is, listen, I'm talking to those of you who are called, to those of you who are all in on the faith, because it's time to fight. And when it's time for you to fight, it's not the time to figure out who will fight with you. You've got to know who you're stepping into battle with. So the first thing you got to know is who. Second thing is where. And I don't mean necessarily like location, like, okay, we're fighting in Albemarle. What I mean is environment, okay? So the environment in which we are contending. And so he writes this in verse 2. 
interesting verse. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Um, in some translations, it says to multiply mercy, peace, and love. He wants us to, to, to contend in an environment where we have extended and, and made mercy, peace, and love abundant. In other words, we can handle the contending. We can handle it getting a little bit tough because we know that we are full of mercy, peace, and love. He says, look, before he even says hard things, and trust me, over the next three weeks, I mean, I've read Jude a number of times getting ready for this, and they're just verses I just go, oh, my gosh. That's going to be uncomfortable. But here's what he He starts the whole book out by saying, yeah, but like mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Like let's set the soil. Let's create the soil in the environment where we can have this conversation, right? Know who you are and know where you are. Plant yourself in that kind of soil. My guess is that um, a lot of you have had arguments before. Have you ever had an argument? It's not a trick question, right? We've all had arguments. Maybe you had one today on the way to church, right? And when you have an argument with somebody, isn't there always a winner and a loser? In truth, there's probably always two losers. But you know what I'm saying. Somebody's like, I won that fight. And the other one's like, I didn't win. And if you feel like you're the loser, what typically happens is we don't multiply mercy, peace, and love. We subtract it. I don't feel as close to you anymore. I'm not sure you really love me anymore. And so in a culture where we're subtracting that, what Judah's saying is that's not the culture where you start contending for the faith. Make sure that you've created the right environment. Make sure that you've multiplied all these things before you start to contend. Let me say it like this. Multiply the good before we criticize the bad. So multiply the good before you criticize the bad. Doesn't mean that we don't criticize, right? But have you ever been um, in a situation where you have had somebody criticize the bad and then they hope you'll stay around long enough to hear the good? I don't want to be in that, right? But when you tell the good first, you multiply the good then you're able to instruct on the back end. One of the best jobs I ever had was teaching um, swimming lessons at the YMCA. It was awesome, right? I'm one of these kids teaching them how to swim. And one of the things that they drilled into our head was before you, before you criticize, before you instruct, find something to praise in what they did. So, you know, like somebody would like do a belly flop and you would say stuff like, man, the way you got your hands out in front of you, that was so good. You know, maybe next time get your legs a little bit higher. You'd always find something to praise before you would instruct. I had this one kid, um, and like teaching how to dive is, is a tricky little thing because you basically like, okay, put your hands up. Now tuck your chin down, lean over, you know, and like you kind of put your hand here and help them get their legs out. It's just, you basically push them in the pool, right, and hope it works out. Well, this one kid, he stands on the edge, and he puts his hands up. I'm like, tuck your chin. Okay, when you're ready, go. And he just, just like that. I was like, perfect, straight down to the bottom. And so he's under the water for like, like a couple of seconds. And I'm thinking the whole time, like, how do I find something good about this? This was the worst dive ever. But when he popped up, the first thing that came out of my mouth, my mouth was, dude, like, if you could take what you just did and flip it upside down, that would be a perfect dive. Right? Like, find something good to say before you start to criticize. And that's one of the ways that you multiply love and peace to people. Find something good. Multiply the good before we criticize the bad. So we've got to know who, we've got to know where, and we've got to know what. If we're going to contend, 
We've got to know what it means to contend. So let's talk about that word, contend. It's in, it's in verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith. So let's talk about that word, contend. In the Greek, it's got a really, really rich meaning, okay? So contend, um, it comes from the same word that we get agonized for. Who woke up this morning and said, today, I hope I can agonize? Nobody, right? Like, nobody likes the word agony. We don't like the way it feels because basically what agony means is that you feel pain just to the breaking point. Like, almost where you've, I'm so, I'm in so much agony, I'm not sure that I can even bear it. And so this word contend, not a really fun word, is it? Because Judah's saying like, hey, what I want you to do is agonize for the faith. Like put yourself in a place where you feel so hurt and so frustrated and painful because you're contending for the faith. Like put yourself there. It was a word that was used in their culture to describe people wrestling in the stadium. And again, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, wrestling is hard. I don't like wrestling. I've done it once. I didn't last very long. It was hard work. And he's saying, like, do that for the gospel. Wrestle for the faith. It, it has a flavor of somebody standing on top of something with their foot because somebody's trying to take it away, right? I, I don't know what we stand on now that people try to take from us, but I do know this. In a family that loves chicken legs, we have this many in our family, and chickens have this many legs. So if somebody were to get a chicken leg, they're going to contend for it because there's at least three others in the family that might want to try to take that leg from them, right? We are putting our foot down on the faith and saying this is our faith, and we are contending because somebody's trying to take it from us. That's a really important distinction because we're not contending for something that we don't have. We're contending to keep something that we've been given. You and I have been given a precious faith in Jesus Christ, and people try to take it from us, and he says, contend. Put your foot down. I urge you to contend for the faith. In one word, just one word, here's what Jude did. He completely dispelled the myth that what we can do is have a kickback in my recliner until Jesus comes back faith. And, man, the church loves to kick back in a recliner. Like, don't ask me to do stuff. Don't make me defend my faith. Don't make me have to use my head. I just want to sit back and drink sweet tea till Jesus comes back. And Jude says you can't do that because you've got to contend for the faith. He's writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it's God telling us, like, get in the game and contend, defend, put your foot down. Don't let the enemy take from you what you've been given. Contend for the faith. When, when I was um, at Park, our, my, our kids were at Park Ridge, um, we learned this other little principle. Because some of you are going to be like, I, I, I don't know if I want to contend. It's uncomfortable, and it also feels like strangely unchristian, right? Like it doesn't feel Christian to fight. It doesn't feel Christian to contend for something. It can feel kind of weird. So when we were at Park Ridge, um, they didn't have an athletic program, and then they started doing athletics. And the hardest thing to do as a coach was to get kids at a Christian school to be aggressive in games. Like literally, I coached basketball. Like the other team would just bounce the ball in front of our kids, and our kids would guard them like this. I'm on the sideline going, like, take the ball. Like, 
take the ball. I, I, can I do that? I'm a Christian. Yes. If they played soccer, it was like the Park Ridge kids were like, "Come, the goal's over here, y'all. Come on. Just, hey, hey, goalie, get out of the way. Let's, we want them to make them feel, it's right there, kick it, go kick. Good job. Okay, okay, you're missing the point of the game, right? Take the ball from them and go the other direction. Like, sometimes it's hard for Christians to think, like, wait, I thought we were supposed to love everybody. And we are supposed to love everybody. But, but he says, as you love people, part of loving them is contending for the faith. And so sometimes we have to do things that might feel a little bit uncomfortable. But it doesn't mean it's unchristian. It's really, really important to understand that distinction. I'll, I'm going to say it like this. We're called to contend for the faith, not to contend about the faith. That's really important, y'all. Because as many people as there are in the room right now, there's that many opinions about how the faith should be done. But we're not called to contend about the faith. We're not called to contend about methods. We're called to contend together for the faith. Now, there's lots of different methods, and that's okay. But we're called to contend for the faith. What he's saying is find people in a church, in a city, in a region that you can lock arms with and contend together for the faith, not turn and contend about the faith with one another. And sometimes we get lost in that, don't we? We get lost in, I'm contending about something that we're called to contend for. One happens in unity, and the other doesn't. We contend for the gospel, period. And then we get to the fourth thing we've got to know. So are you following? These are all W words. Who, where, what. The next one is why. And I love that he gives us a purpose. It's hard to do something over and over again if you don't have a purpose, isn't it? Like It's like banging your head against a brick wall. Like, why do I keep doing this? You've got to know why we're called to do this. So he's not the coach. You ever had coaches that just randomly made you do really hard drills at the end of practice? And you're like, what's the point? I mean, I get, some, of them I get the, some of them I get it right. Or maybe you've been in the military. We've all heard stories of, you know, um, a, a drill sergeant saying, hey, take this shovel and dig a hole. Okay. Now fill it. Okay. Now dig one over there. Hmm, okay. Now fill it. Like at some point, you're like, why? We can't ask them why because they'll make you dig more holes, right? It's a little bit like Karate Kid, flashback to Karate Kid, like, right? Why am I waxing your car? Oh, later on, it's like wax on, wax off. God's, he's not calling you just to do something for no purpose, right? There's a reason behind this, and Jude talks about it in verse 4. He says, here's why we're called to contend. It's because certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you, and they are ungodly people. Now, the temptation could be for me to read that, and all of y'all start doing this. Whoa. Who's he talking about? Who slipped in among us? Where's the ungodly person in here? So, don't get there yet, right? Like, don't do that yet. Let's just talk about the fact that the reason why he's called us to contend is because that happens. Because ungodly people slip in. Ungodly teaching slips in. And he's going to take the rest of the letter and really get specific about what that looks like. But for right now, here's what he's saying. I'm not asking you to fight for no reason. I'm asking you to contend for the faith because certain people are trying to take the faith from you. If you wanted to think about it this way, 
It'd be like me telling you, protect your house because someone's trying to step into it and take things from you, right? And this is the South, so we're all like, ready to go, right? That's the point. That's what he's saying. Like, hey, protect what's yours because someone's trying to take it from you. And the reason why is because they're trying to take it. What I want you to see is that if we don't know the why, we'll eventually stop doing the what. And the specific why that he's going to cover in the rest of this letter is, one, there are false teachers. That's what it's going to be next week is all about. There are false teachers. And because there's false teachers, you've got to contend for the faith. And then there are lost people that are hurting because of those false teachers. And because those people are hurting, you've got to contend for the faith. You've got to contend and help those people. That's why we contend. Not because, and I know none of y'all would do this, but I know that you know people that you can tell they woke up that morning and they said to themselves, today my goal for living is just to get in a good old fight. Right? That's not why we do it. We're not looking for a fight. What he's saying is, but be ready to contend. Be ready for a fight because the fight's probably going to come to you, and be ready for that. Contend because there are false teachers and because there are hurting people. If we don't know the why, we'll eventually stop doing the what. And then we get to number five. Can, can y'all, y'all want to come back up, the band? Um, we'll get to number five. Here's the fifth thing you got to know. And this one's the most practical of all. So you can just kind of picture um, in, in the church setting, and they're reading. They're like, hey, 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 y'all, we got a letter from our friend Jude, and um, we're going to read it. So they're reading the letter from Jude, and I could just see people's heads nodding. They're like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like, okay, yeah, who, okay, um, yeah, you're, you're a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. We're all in this together, and they're kind of getting the who, and they're kind of getting the why and the what and all that stuff and where. Like, oh, hey, grace and peace be multiplied to you. you know, like, they're doing all that stuff. But at some point, don't you know these people were like, if Jude was standing here right now, I think I would just want to ask him, okay, I get that we're supposed to contend, but when do we do that? Like, when do we contend for the faith? Like, are there signs we can look for? Because I don't want to go beat somebody up for no reason, right? I want to know exactly when I'm supposed to contend. And so Jude closes the fourth verse by giving us very practically a checklist of times to contend. And here's what he says. They are ungodly people, the ones who have slipped in who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Let me say it this way. We are to contend when people misunderstand the grace and lordship of Jesus. He said they've taken the grace of God and they've turned it into a license to sin. Now, I told you that Jude was an alarm clock, right? It was the like not the wakey wakey alarm clock so this is when it gets a little tough here's what Jude is saying there are people among you who have an attitude that I can do whatever I want because of the grace of God and what he said is they've taken that and they've turned it into a license to sin basically that if there's sin in their life and you call them on it they're going to whip out this license and go yeah but Jesus grace lets me do this And he calls that out in this one verse and says, that's a time, church, when you need to contend for the faith. That's a time when, I'll just speak honestly to the community group leaders in the house. That's a time when when you're in a community group setting and somebody begins to share with you what's going on in their life and it's 
completely contradictory to the Word of God, that's a time when it's okay to step into that arena and contend for the faith and to say things to people like, I don't think you understand the grace of God. Because the grace of God doesn't free you up to walk as close to the edge of the cliff as you want. The grace of God opens your eyes to see the edge of the cliff and frees your feet to walk as far away from the edge as you can. Grace is not about how much can I get away with. Grace is about how much can I honor Jesus with. And when we take the grace of God and use it to make ourselves happy, because after all, God wants me to be happy, then we've misunderstood the grace. And Jude says, in that situation, you've got to step in and contend for the faith. And then when we misunderstand the Lordship of Jesus, I, this is not going to be a popular statement, but I'm going to make it, okay? And it's not going to feel good, but again, this is not a wakey-wakey alarm. It's a really loud alarm, right? Words that probably followers of Jesus should never say to God, because I want to. Because that's not the Lordship of Jesus. The Lordship of Jesus says, it's not what I want, it's what you want for me. Jude started this whole message by saying, hey, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Read the books that Paul wrote in the New Testament. Almost every one of them start this way. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus. And here's what he says over and over again. Jesus came to the cross and set me free from sin. And now because I'm free from sin, I can literally do whatever I want. And what I'm choosing to do is to make myself a slave to Jesus. I'm choosing it. That's the difference. Choosing to follow Jesus. Choosing to put myself under His Lordship. Choosing to serve. I'm not made to serve. I choose it. Choosing to preach. I don't have to preach. I get to. Choosing to attend a service. We don't have to. We get to. Choosing to talk about Jesus at school or at work. You don't have to. You get to. And that's what he's saying. When we understand the Lordship of Jesus, then we understand that Jesus is Lord, changes everything about my life. And if we say that he's my friend, homie, I'm his brother, bro, but don't recognize that he's also my Lord, then we've missed the point. And what Jude is saying is that's when the church needs to step in and contend for the faith and say, no, Jesus went to the cross because he wants to be Lord of your life. He don't want to just save you from hell. He wants to be Lord of your life here on earth. So the things you choose are the things that would please him and make his heart full. That's the point. So when do we fight? When do we contend? Whenever people misunderstand the grace of Jesus and the lordship of Jesus. It's that simple. And I'm not sure, again, where you are on that snooze button spectrum, right? So when the alarm goes off tomorrow morning, I'm not sure if you're a one snoozer, two snoozer, five snoozer. I know I used to set my alarm clock intentionally 18 minutes early because I had a nine-minute snooze. And I knew I was going to want to hit it twice, right? Like, it's funny the things that we, the, the tricks we play to just catch a little bit more sleep. And God's cool with sleep, right? He loves sleep. But what I want to encourage you with is this is an alarm clock we can't snooze on. We can't snooze on what you're just saying. We can't push the snooze button. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. He's like, no, no, you've got to hear this because we've got to contend for the faith. You've got to know what you believe. You've got to understand the doctrines behind it. 
You've got to be able to be strong in that so that you can contend. He's a drill sergeant saying, i got to make you the best soldier possible. And in order to do that, it's going to require a little bit of effort. But it's worth it because the faith that we have is worth the fight. So as we close this morning, would you, just, would you take a moment and just close your eyes? I just want to let you kind of process with the Lord for a moment. I want to ask you a couple of questions, and then I'm going to pray over you. Number one, it's possible that you're here this morning and, and the Holy Spirit is convicting you. And listen, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, it's never condemnation. He doesn't come to shame us. He actually does this to set us free. And it's possible that even the phrase, turning God's grace into a license to sin, even that phrase has convicted you this morning. I know it convicts me often. And so the first thing I want to do is offer you the opportunity to just repent of that to the Lord and say, you know what, I have treated your grace as a license to do whatever I want. And today I realize that that is not contending for the faith. If that's you and, and you just want to repent of that, would you just raise your hand? Nobody's looking. Just raise your hand and say, that's me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Isn't his spirit good? Just the way he comes and he just leads us to grace, right? True grace. Let's talk about that lordship part, right? And this is to Christians, right? Like, yeah, if you die today, you're going to go to heaven, no doubt about it. But you've not really been living your life as though he's lord of it. You've kind of been calling the shots on your way to heaven, right? And even today, as you think about that, you're starting to see how, how backwards that really is. And you'd like to repent of that. Would you just do that by raising your hand and say, that's me. I've, just, I've been kind of the lord of my life, even though I'm, I'm going to heaven. Thank you so much. Just, that's honest. And listen, God appreciates the honesty, right? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And just before I pray, two more questions. One, it's possible that you're here today and you've never made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And today, you want to do that. If that's you and you've never made that decision, you'd like to do it right now, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me? Anybody? Thank you. First, let's pray a prayer of repentance, and I've got one more question for you. Father, in your name, Jesus, I thank you that you are a God whose kindness leads us to repentance. And that in this moment, God, as we've heard your word, I believe this, that you have done what the word said that it would do. You have cut us to the core of who we are and exposed who we are. But not to shame us. You never do that to go, ah, gotcha. That's not who you are. That's not your Father's heart. And Jude said that we are loved by the Father. Your heart, God, is to expose who we are so that you can cover that with your grace. And so I just, I multiply grace in this room right now to those that have raised their hands for these reasons, God. That, that we would experience your grace in a greater measure than we even did when we woke up this morning. For where sin abounds, grace all the more. And I thank you for the freedom that comes, God, with repentance and forgiveness. And that now we're in a position like Paul and like Jude and like so many of the other authors in the, in the Bible to contend for the faith as your bondservants, as your slaves, as your followers. We're willingly saying, I'm putting myself under the lordship of Jesus. And we thank you for that, God. 
Now, last question, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want you to just to quickly, um, I know we don't have Rolodexes anymore, but you got like contact lists in your phone. I want you to kind of scan through your contact list, right? All the people that you come in contact with during the week. And I want you to ask the Lord this question. Is there somebody in my life that I need to step into that relationship and contend for the faith about? Like it might be somebody that's a believer and you just know that I need to step into a situation and contend with them for the faith. It might be a believer that you're going to lock arms with to contend together for the faith. But I believe right now if you ask that question, the Holy Spirit is going to give you clarity on a relationship. And I just want to pray confidence over you. And then we're going to wrap this up by singing a song. Father, in this room right now, as you, as you highlight names to us of people, it's because people are on your heart and relationships matter to you. And so I'm asking right now that you would just fill our hearts with confidence and boldness, God. That we would, we would have our, the confidence of Jude, who was okay sounding a really unpleasant alarm clock. We'd be okay stepping into relationships and contending for the faith. Because as we're going to see at the end of this book, your heart is to snatch people out of the fire. Pull them out, God. And you want to use us to do it. And so I pray over this house, over this body, God, that you would fill us with courage and confidence, God. Because we're known by you to begin to contend for the faith. We thank you for it, God.